0: Welcome to Common Ground with Bill Walton. Featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics, and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Taxing and
1: spending. And with me to explore these topics are two experts in economics from Heritage Foundation, Romina Baccia. Who's a leading fiscal and economic expert at the Heritage Foundation on government spending and a national debt? Uh, she's been introduced frequently as an economist who speaks English, although Ramina reliably, reliably informs me she was born in Germany, and uh, therefore this <laughs> makes it a double, a double win. Uh, she's been widely published and quoted in magazines New York Times, Best, uh, Wall Street Journal, The Atlantic, Bloomberg. On and on, the list go, is is endless. Where she's been uh, speaking out on economic issues before Heritage, she was with the Independent Women's Forum, and uh, she holds a master's degree in economics from George Mason University. And among her other pastimes, uh, she's an avid uh, rock climber.
2: That's Welcome. Right. Thank you. <laughs>
1: um, Adam Michelle uh, is a tax policy and federal budget expert at the Thomas A. Rowe Institute for Economic Studies at the Heritage Foundation, uh, where I might add I'm also a trustee. Um, he focuses on the economics of taxation, international tax competition, and the federal budget. Uh, he also, before this, he was at the George Mason University, or George Mason University, worked as a broad range of topics on federal fiscal policy, and he was also an associate at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Uh, they both have M.A.'s in economics from George Mason University, and Adam is also a rock climber. Uh, Adam? We have that in common. You want to talk about rock climbing first? Uh, <laughs> what the, did, you, did you teach each other to climb rocks, or did you... Uh...
0: No. No? Found, found it independently. I think I actually ran into Romina at the rock climbing gym uh, multiple, <laughs> multiple years ago. We'd met in a different capacity. and I was like, oh, I know, I know her. And we, uh, we've, we are, we're both passionate about getting outdoors and enjoying... Enjoying rock climbing.
1: Well, dealing with the federal budget and taxes is a lot like climbing rocks or, <laughs> or a rock or a cliff, more likely the fiscal cliff. That's uh, right. Let's 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 give an overview of where we are. We want to talk about taxes and spending and um, what we're doing now to, to fix the tax code and take a look at spending this year. But let's let's back up. How how big is the federal budget as a percentage of GDP? Um, How much do we collect in taxes? Where do the taxes come from?
2: Yeah. Overall, the federal budget spends about $4 trillion annually, and we take in about $3.3 trillion in tax revenues. In terms of GDP, you're looking at one-fifth of our economy is dedicated to federal spending. Of course, if you add in state and local, you'll get a much larger share that goes to government. But just focusing on federal, the tax burden is about 17% of GDP, but it's rapidly rising, and... um, If if I brought you a a little gift here, our federal budget in pictures, and there's also a website, federalbudgetinpictures.com, and one of the charts there, it shows how taxes and spending have have always fluctuated somewhat, but the problem we're facing is that our spending is projected to grow to really unsustainable heights that would require massive increases in taxes.
1: Well, if I did the math right, I think that your spending and... Tax numbers, we're still operating at about a $650 billion deficit.
2: That's correct. Even though
1: I read recently that our tax revenues are at an all-time
2: high. That's also correct, yes. And the problem is spending is outpacing tax revenue and is projected to continue to do so, and do so by even larger amounts. What's really driving the spending is about two-thirds of the budget that's growing on autopilot. We did the math. If you just look at the next 10 years where the additional spending growth happens, it's, it's in three programs in interest on the debt. And a lot of people will know those programs very well, and I suspect you do too, and that's Medicare, Social Security, and Medicaid. Those three programs alone and in interest on the debt are responsible for 85% of the projected spending growth just over the next 10 years. And if we're talking in terms of percentage of GDP over the long run, one hundred percent of our spending and debt crises is due to these programs and interest on the debt.
1: That doesn't leave a lot left over for anything else.
2: That's right. I, you
1: know, I think also we're believe, you know, the Federal Reserve is changing its policies and people are expecting interest rates to rise. If interest rates rise, the federal budget is going to be really hurt by the rising interest costs.
0: Yeah, the... the the bigger the debt grows, the, the and if interest goes up, it just becomes more and more expensive, compounding out as, as far as we go. Now, the the, the, the tax ta- side, yeah. Bre- break it down. We've got income tax, payroll
1: mm-hmm. tax, corporate tax, tariffs, things like that. What, what, what percentage comes from which?
0: Yeah, so uh, before we get to that, I think it's important to point out the, ta- the tax component of what Romina was talking about, this sort of uh, ballooning spending going out into the future – and, and tax revenue as well is projected to grow, uh, not as much as, as spending, but grow a little bit over the future. So we're, when we talk about tax reform, it's, it's helpful to start there that raising taxes isn't it really isn't the solution to any of this. It's spending is is really the problem. And and so then if you break down that that tax revenue uh, piece, where do we get our revenue from? It comes from a majority of it comes from income taxes. So about forty seven percent of of all tax revenue comes from income taxes In- income that's income
1: taxes from people, not corporations
0: from people, yeah, so that's what you pay on your okay. wages yeah. uh, and and then capital gains and dividends taxes, so and what you what uh, you pay on investments and and then the second bucket is still what people pay it's the payroll taxes payroll taxes
1: would be FICA, social security, what am I missing
0: uh, Ta- uh, taxes that fund medica- uh, okay. Medicaid, yeah, Medicare right. and Medicare. Social Security—they're yeah. all called FICA, yeah, okay. which is
2: very misleading. Federal Insurance <laughs> Contributions Act. There's, those aren't really insurance programs; they're more like federal benefit programs. But yeah,
1: I, I don't think people. Uh, my, set me straight on this. The, there really is no trust fund. The payroll taxes come in; they're treated as part of the general revenues of a the right. government. Then money's fungible; it goes <laughs> wherever it's needed.
2: That's right, so the trust fund does exist on paper, but what's important to remember is it's is not like a trust fund like you might own or anybody else might own. Rather, it doesn't have any economic assets in it. All it has in it are government debt securities. So it's another, it's a asset for the Social Security Administration. They claim that they have 2.8 trillion in, in these trust fund assets, but for the taxpayer, it's another liability because it's those are debt securities just like any debt that, uh, government debt that people might buy when they buy Treasury security, so it's the same thing.
1: And our national debt is, what, approaching $20 trillion. Is it's, that in that $20 trillion it. number?
2: Yes, it is. Our uh, national debt consists of two main components. There's the publicly held debt, which is what we borrow in credit markets. Mm-hmm. That's about $15 trillion of the $20 trillion debt. And then the $5 trillion, that's what's called intergovernmental debt, which is debt that Congress has borrowed from other government agencies that have trust funds. Social security is the biggest one.
1: So uh, the the problem, as Adam points out, is that uh, unless we get the spending under control, there's no <laughs> amount we can tax to, to raise the revenue. Now, you you recently, uh, you were both cited in a Wall Street Journal opinion editorial on the need mm-hmm. to restructure the budget to allow for both reform and, and tax cuts. So do you want
0: to brief us on what, uh, what, what that's about? So when we're, tax reform is, currently going, it re- relies on the budget and the budget process to, to sort of move forward. And the piece that you mentioned, it the, the current rules make it so biased the government to keep expanding year after year. They currently assume that tax uh, cuts will it will go away in the future, and sp- but where they don't assume that where the government is planning on cutting spending in the future, they don 't assume those those reductions, they just assume that they couldn't possibly mean, uh, they couldn't possibly uh, actually mean to cut spending, so there's a bias in how taxes and spending are 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 counted I don't understand that what's it what's what's that called the baseline
2: yeah so the we have a, a current law and a current policy baseline which sounds very wonky <laughs> but basically what it means is that uh, when Congress puts the budget together then um, whatever tax reform proposal they're going to look at is going to get scored against that budget baseline and that's how we're going to find out how much uh, the tax plan reduces uh, hopefully that increases uh, taxes so you need so in order to determine that baseline against which the tax plan will be scored They can use two uh, primary uh, methods. The current uh, law baseline assumes that any tax policies that are currently scheduled to expire, like Mm -hmm. the tax extenders, if you've heard of those, that they will indeed expire. And therefore, this baseline assumes higher revenue numbers. But when it comes to spending uh, increases that are... That, that would need to happen in order to be able to pay, say, benefits from the Medicare and Social Security program beyond what the trust fund allows. Congress assumes, well, there's no way that we would ever cut this spending, so they assume that those spending we, we, increases We don't are have built any courage
1: in. to cut something now, so we know we're not going to have courage to do it sometime <laughs> in the future.
2: That's basically it, yeah. They, <laughs> but they assume they're going to raise taxes and increase spending, so we, have, we really truly have a tax and spend budget.
1: We know we're not serious about doing what we were elected to do, so we might as well just build it into our budget.
2: That's what I um, do. What is the
1: tax extender? I'm going to keep coming back to. We've got a lot of terms yeah. in this world that I'm not. Uh, what is a tax extender?
0: The, the tax extenders are a revolving package of different tax provisions that that Congress says are going to last for so no, so many number of years. So we're going to have this tax change for five years, and then they have to extend it if they want that to continue. And mm-hmm. so the there's a whole bunch of these, and they ex, and they expire on different time periods and so the extenders package is just a package of these tax cuts essentially that congress has to has to extend year after year and they do extend it year after year and this difference between the current policy and the current law baseline The current uh, law baseline assumes that Congress won't keep extending these tax cuts, but what what we've argued for is using a current policy baseline that takes into consideration that they just continue to extend these, so we should should build that into our assumptions.
2: Otherwise, you're looking at a half a trillion dollar tax increase that's already built into the baseline, so even if Congress uh, didn't make any didn't put in place any new tax cuts, they would have to figure out how to raise taxes by a half a trillion dollars. That just makes tax reform basically impossible.
1: So where do the tax increases come from? Are they baked into the law? Is it an increase in rates? Is it it something new that's got to be passed, we're assuming?
0: So there, there are various sort of small provisions that all compile into this yeah. one package. The biggest piece, and again, it's another one of these complicated things, but the biggest piece is what they call bonus depreciation. So it's a change in how investments are treated uh, in, in the tax code. And it, it, the, although, it, again, it's complicated, what, it, what the change does, it makes it easier for businesses to invest here in America. That's what bonus depreciation does. It's a, and so they assume that this is going to expire But they have extended it year after year, so uh, that we should build into the baseline the fact that it will continue to be extended because it's both good policy and makes tax reform easier. It's not
2: rates, it's specific provisions in the tax code.
0: Oh, I see. Uh,
1: One of the things that's on people's minds now is cutting the corporate income tax Mm -hmm. rate. And where where does that stand and what would that do? I think you've written extensively. and interestingly, about how cutting corporate rates would actually benefit American workers. And that's not intuitively it, obvious to most people.
0: Yeah, so the when we, we we said that income taxes make up a share of the federal budget, a big share, but corporate taxes make up about 10% of the revenue that we bring in. And although that, that's a small dollar value on, on paper and sort of the big scheme of things, The corporate tax is the biggest drag on economic growth. We currently have the highest corporate tax rate in the developed world. When you take an average state rates, we're at almost 40% tax rate on our on our corporations. And this has been pushing businesses overseas. You may have heard of inversions. Uh, This is making it hard for businesses to invest here in America. Uh, The measure of investment per worker or capital per worker, we're about 8% below the historic trend. And this is what, this is a big reason why we haven't seen uh, job creation uh, at the levels that we should. It's why wage growth has been relatively stagnant. So cutting the corporate tax rate is a big, a big and important piece of getting America working again and getting the economy moving Hasn't, again. Uh,
1: the OECD, I mean, we think of the European Union as, as uh, not pro-business, but they've... Mm-hmm. Uh, They've cut their corporate rates from forty five percent in nineteen eighty six to something like an average of twenty-two percent now. Twenty-one percent. And we're at uh, mm-hmm. we're at thirty-five, and as you point out with state we're at forty. So we're roughly yeah. twice the <laughs> level of taxation. Yeah. Which is why companies are leaving the United States and which is known what do we call them? Inversions. Uh, inversions, yep. yeah. Another. So what, what's an inversion? That
0: sounds like it's a very sinister <laughs> uh, it, sinister word there. It it does. And so you you're you're correct. There's as as the world has as businesses have been able to move around the around the world and uh, uh... we've become more global in where we get get our things from and and, and travel costs have gone down that this has made it easier for businesses to do business in other countries and uh, all other countries have responded by lowering their corporate tax rate as it as it is a in it creates an incentive for businesses to leave their country
1: didn't burger king move to canada
0: yeah so that this is one of those, those inversions that, that you talked about burger king moved their headquarters from the United States to Canada, purely because Canada has a more favorable business environment. And 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 as you mentioned, all the OECD countries, Europe, Canada, Mexico, Japan, have all lowered their corporate tax rates over the last several years. And that's left the United States high and dry and one of the least favorable business climates in in the world. So
1: I I want to talk about how we pay for a tax cut on corporations and the process in a a minute, but I want to stick with what the benefits are. Mm -hmm. So let's say we cut the corporate rate to 18%. What happens?
0: Cutting the, the corporate rate to 18%, 15%, just lowering the corporate rate, we've seen time and time again across countries, across the U.S. states, that that benefit is passed on to workers through higher wages and often significantly higher wages. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of of that benefit goes to workers, and the way that it happens is a little complex and possibly counterintuitive. But lowering the corporate tax rate means that more investment will come into the United States, and that investment is That's things like machines. The from the United We outside become of the a tax
1: States. a tax haven in effect because we're more attractive.
0: Yeah, it means people investors want to do business here, yeah. and that. Those investments in machines and equipment, in new farm equipment, uh, in new research and development—these are things that that people, that work, American workers, work with to become more productive and to create well, more. Well, doesn't more the, products doesn't the
1: left say, though? Look, there's, we're not, they're not—they're not really going to do that. They're just going <laughs> to give CEOs a raise and pay out dividends to shareholders. I mean, is there—is there evidence that what you're saying? Is uh,
0: Yeah, So we've seen it, it, the, the as corporate rates have been brought down around the world. And over the past several decades, we've seen this happen. There's many natural experiments. And, and we see over and over again in the data that a lower corporate tax means higher wages for, for workers. It's about 75 to, to over 100% of the cost of the corporate tax actually gets passed on to workers through well, lower we wages.
1: Were, uh, well, we were researching a show, and I've got <laughs> thousands of pages, it seems, on taxes and budgets. It's, it's we overwhelming. got more where that came from. You, <laughs> we could, okay, well, my library, <laughs> I've got an extra shelf. We can fill it out there. Hey, um, Kevin Hassett uh, could be a real friend of this idea. Mm-hmm. Kevin was at AEI, and he's now chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors, so he's in the White House, yeah. and he has done a lot of work on this, what you're talking he about, has. and there's been a study of european countries and they've lowered their corporate tax rates and there's a tremendously high positive relationship
0: between lower corporate taxes mm-hmm. and higher wages
1: Do you want but to think, comment
0: some more on that yeah i believe it's uh kevin's uh study that he did while he was at, at aei shows that uh lowering one dollar reduction in the corporate tax rate can result in almost uh, up to a 400 percent increase in in wages i'm sorry the uh, if you lower lower weight, if you lower the corporate tax by one dollar, you get a four dollar increase in wages. So the cost of the corporate tax is more than just the money that that the government is taxing away it, there's a lot of economic inefficiencies that it causes as well so lowering the corporate tax it's not just a dollar for dollar thing you yeah, get there's, a multiplier, there's a multiplier effect there
2: but make no mistakes C- corporations would very well want to increase salaries for their ceo and p- provide uh, more money to their shareholders but they don't they don't have a choice in the matter what <laughs> happens is as you get more investment there's also more demand for workers and so workers are able to bid up the price of their Labor, and so it just happens automatically through the economy, if you will, uh, the invisible hand at work. And I think that's what makes some of these proposals so difficult. That all of this happens without anybody planning it, and it doesn't matter what the corporation wants to do with the with the uh, tax cut. It it gets distributed across uh, to the workers in the form of um, higher wages because they become more productive. There's more demand for for these workers. Well, There's I, more investment,
1: and that would happen now because unemployment's low. Um, there, are million, right. there are millions of jobs that are available that they're dying for people with with, with talent to, to mm-hmm. fill, and they're going they're empty. So you're right. There would be a, a, a trend in that direction, uh, and we need it. I mean, I was reading something here. The averagely wage for manufacturing workers was twenty dollars and eighty three cents in June of two thousand six. So what is that? Uh, Eleven years ago, it's mm-hmm. only up a dollar since then. So we've had a dollar raise. Uh, in the last 11 years. We certainly need to be doing something about this.
2: I wonder if that takes into account um, all of the um, non-wage um, compensation that workers get, because one of the things we've also found is that a lot of the uh, increase in wages has been consumed by mandated government benefits, and that's where we come to the aspect oh, of- need to So this is cut headline spending. Number,
1: not the headline number, not the underlying number.
2: That's, I, wa- I wonder okay. what, what he's looking at there, mm-hmm. yeah. Healthcare has been a big driver of consuming workers wages because keep in mind bill any benefit that a company is mandated to give to its workers yeah. comes directly out of wages and we yeah. know this uh, workers end up paying for both sides of the payroll tax it's not true that employers so, pay the other so, half
1: so what um, the employee sees is not much of a raise that's but what right. the employer sees is a big increase in, in cost, costs associated absolutely. with uh, with hiring
2: yeah
0: and the, this feeds into some some of the inequality numbers we see as well if you look at just how much the wage changes over time uh, the the sort of difference between the rich and the poor have, have expanded, but if you build in this the healthcare piece as healthcare costs have ballooned, those those trends move much closer together because healthcare costs are such a much larger portion of a low income uh, person's total compensation package that a lot of these numbers are hard to interpret unless you're looking at sort of the whole the whole picture. Are
1: there also, in addition to healthcare costs, are there compliance costs or labor, you know, EEOC costs, whatever costs are associated with employing somebody that have also gone up that are masking these numbers? Because I hadn't I, I really thought about it the way you're describing it.
2: Yes, certainly on the regulatory side. Um, and there's been a lot of movement now uh, with uh, discrimination lawsuits against big companies that fa- factors in as well. Uh, Google is now being um, sued for potentially uh, discriminating against its female employees. And so Um, We've got a lot of regulations on the book that add to the cost of labor and compliance costs that companies face. But I think still uh, lowering the corporate rate is going to have a big impact on our economy and at least help to disperse some of the drag that we experience due to a really bad and outdated tax code. Um, Together with regulatory reform, you could see a a tremendous increase in economic growth.
1: Now, one thing that... uh, it's true, though is we've got a headline rate thirty five percent, but a lot of corporations aren't paying thirty five percent. I mean, they were the poster boy for not paying thirty five percent. I think it was GE yeah. a few years right. ago, where they made on their their generally accepted accounting principles number, the one they showed to the public was like I don't know how many billions of dollars, and they paid zero taxes. I mean, is that? What's the actual effective rate in the United States? Is it anywhere near thirty-five? So, so
0: when you, we talk about the effective rate, or we talk about anything other than that that headline rate you described, it's sort of like a choose-your-own-adventure. You can you, you can sh- you can make up numbers how, to make whatever case you want. It, whether yeah. you're looking at marginal effective rates or average rates or rates just for large company, international multinational companies are, are different than. Than small businesses that are here just housed in the united states and what what 's what 's important is that that variation between the zero g e rate that you mentioned and then the company that does have to pay that thirty five percent rate that variation is also distorting for the economy and so what what tax reform the promise of tax reform is that we can lower that that headline rate and make it so so that businesses don't have that huge variation that everyone pays a low a low I've been on the
1: on the business side of the table you're basically saying to me if it's 35% I'm gonna pay tax lawyers a lot of money To make sure I can find some deductions, I can get income offshore, I can do all these various things to get that rate down to something lower. But if the rates say fifteen percent, it's gonna be worth a lot less to me to, to expend those resources in order to get it there. Is mm-hmm. that the is that the explanation?
0: Y- yes, that's if the the savings, if yeah. the rate is lower, the savings to the business to game the system is much less. And it's more likely that they'll be able to put those resources to more productive activities like investing in research and development, like raising wages for their workers, uh, the things that grow that grow the economy, rather than than so, paying tax lawyers to sort of figure out how so, to game so all the my, system. All my
1: good friends, all my good friends were tax lawyers in the DC area. <laughs> yeah. would... Uh, they're very smart people. I'm sure they could find something
0: yeah. else to Think do. Think if all if all of their brain power was put towards <laughs> something that wasn't gaming the system, but was yeah. was instead. Uh, going towards productive activities that are that would be expanding our GDP <laughs> rather than uh, than shrinking it.
1: Well, the uh, the, the, the corporate taxation there there's something I want to dig into because I don't mm-hmm. think it's widely understood. We have businesses and then we have corporations and we've got a, a corporate code which taxes corporations at the corporate level on income and then we've got businesses that don't operate as C corps, which is what that section of the code is Mm -hmm. and they're not taxed at the business level, they're taxed at the personal level and they're called pass-through companies. Mm -hmm. Uh, How did, how would you fix the the relationship between the C corps and the, and the pass-throughs? Do you have
0: a, so the, that's, Not part of the discussion right now in tax reform is right now we're trying to just lower the the corporate rate and lower the rate for pass-throughs. But the ideal tax policy is to treat all businesses the same, and that would that would be some that would be something like uh, eliminating the corporate tax and just having all of that income taxed at the individual. So shareholders would be taxed the same way business owners are taxed. Yeah, and then there would be no difference between C corps and the pass-throughs that you mentioned right now. Mm Uh, there depend there's all sorts of tax reasons to be one or the other Mm -hmm. and that's and and the tax code shouldn't be driving business decisions in that way we should we should just be able to uh, let our businesses make economic decisions and not have to so much capital gets
1: allocated because of the the bells and whistles carrots and sticks in the tax code
0: exactly and that's that's what tax reform should really focus on is how do we get how do we get these biases out of the tax code? Our current tax code makes it hard to harder to save and invest than it does to to spend your, your well, money as now. We, as
1: we as we talk about this in the fall of 2017, tax reforms on a on everybody's mind. I, I say tax reform. Are we looking mm-hmm. at anything else in the code that? Uh, would be something besides rates are we talking about expenses are we talking about mm-hmm. de- de- depreciation What what else is in there that's that's on the table or should be on the table
2: A full expensing should definitely be on the table um it depends on what table you're talking about <laughs> if it's on <laughs> we'll that table, table right now uh <laughs> There seems to be um, some misunderstanding and uh, folks who believe that we have to make a choice between either better expensing policy or lower rates. But really, they go hand in hand, because expensing is one of the things that really drives investment. And that is a key driver of economic growth. And what we have right now is a very unfair system of complicated depreciation schedules put together by IRS bureaucrats who somehow know the economic life of any given asset and um, assume that it hasn't changed significantly over time as our economy has shifted in many, many important ways. So um, full expensing would mean that in the year in which you make an investment, like you buy cameras, for example, you should be able to fully deduct those rather than having to keep track over how many years um, and just writing off a portion of that. You also don't get the full value of the deduction right now because we don't take into account um, the value of your money. Any investment you make today, um, you spend that money now. That money is uh, uh, worth more today than... Uh, uh, have there, have there been now? any? So
1: <laughs> let me understand this. We've got the cameras here for this show. We buy the cameras. The depreciation schedule says they're going to last five years. When in reality, the technology is going to change <laughs> oh, so <yeah>. fast <laughs> yeah. that these are going to be obsolete, technologically speaking, in a year. Mm-hmm. Yet I'm still depreciating them over five years, and that's happening in a lot of lot of places. That's so right. Instead, we take the full value. We'd write it off for this year's taxes and the the tax uh, alignment would be with the uh, actual use of the asset.
0: Yes. And, so that, and that current system effectively makes it more expensive to invest than it otherwise should be. So expensing levels the playing field, making all investments equally attractive, and making investment more attractive than it currently is. But even more importantly, it or not more importantly, but equally importantly, it uh, it reduces complexity significantly you no longer have to track that camera over 5 years or a building over yeah, 30 over 39, account, over 39 over so, yeah, 39 years yeah. Uh, the the business community spends uh, i think it's 23 billion dollars each year complying with just depreciation schedules mm-hmm. which is this expensing piece we're talking about and so uh, just wow. moving to to full expensing means that all that money can again, as we were talking about, be reallocated to something other than co- figuring out how much money you need to send to Washington at the and, end of the and year. And this
2: is a change that would really benefit all businesses, including small businesses that operate through the personal income tax code as, as pass throughs and other entities. Like so my corner is- dry cleaner. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think it's even more important for those types of businesses because they don't have the money to pay fancy lawyers to keep track of all their equipment and depreciate it over time on the proper IRS schedule. Um, So they have to do all that themselves. And that imposes a huge compliance burden for them and hours and hours of keeping track of all these items.
1: Well, you know, over time, I guess I've become more of a populist because if you look at things like the tax code, it disproportionately burdens the people who can't afford to, to play the games mm-hmm. that the big companies can play. And so, but the big companies also have all their lobbyists here in town. And so you've got this big inertia factor built in where they don't want any change and the people who be benefiting don't have a voice here.
0: And, and the cost of, of complying with this system is relatively similar for a big business and a small business. If you're depreciating the same asset, you have to go through that same complex number of steps but a small business doesn't it, it's a much larger piece of their total operating cost that has to be dedicated to this so it's a bigger burden on smaller businesses
1: well this is a bit off topic and we're not on taxes <laughs> or spending but if you look at the impact of Dodd-Frank, Dodd it's Frank Dodd Frank disproportionately thing. benefited big banks mm-hmm. and Jamie Dimon and Lloyd Blankfein I think they've stopped saying it because they got in trouble but they said look Dodd Frank's been great for us because it's built a moat around our business model, where it's too expensive <laughs> in terms of regulatory cost or capital cost to get into something to compete with us, and what it, what, mm-hmm. who it's heard are all the community banks. There used to be a hundred, mm-hmm. hundred and fifty, you know, every new ones every year. Now I think we've had three in the last uh, seven, you know, seven to ten years. Um, so what? What else in the? I, I know we're we got a big topic to explore here, but so in the corporate side, we've got rates, we've got expenses. Is there another
0: big item that we ought to be for? Yeah, so the other big piece on the, on the corporate side is uh, moving to what's called a territorial tax system. And this plays in with this scary inversions term that, that you were talking about earlier. The, currently, that we, the United States claims uh, to tax all of the profits earned by our corporations here earned around the world. So if Burger King, our earlier example, is earning profits in Canada and they want to bring those profits back to the United States, the U.S. government cl- uh, claims that they should be taxed at the U.S. rate. Where if Berber King was to be headquartered in Canada as they are now and they earned profits in the United States and wanted to bring those profits back to Canada, the Canadian government doesn't claim that same right so it makes it more expensive to operate in in the United States under the current system so we have a territorial system so we have a worldwide system a worldwide moving system. I mean, everybody to
1: else a, has a territorial system almost
0: right. every other country uses a territorial system So which not is, only are our rates too high <laughs> but we have the territorial system a worldwide
1: system we have a worldwide
0: yeah. system yeah. Our, our, rates, our rates are too high; we have a worldwide system, and our business tax code just in general is exceedingly complex, which in expensing is, is the is sort of the third piece there where if we could lower our rates, move to expensing, and move to a territorial system, we could be a global business destination just on tax parameters alone, not to mention our educated workforce and our property rights protections and mm-hmm. all the other amazing things about the United States pair that with a great tax system and we would we would see unprecedented investment economic growth job well, creation
1: well one of the things i've always trying to explore is why we can't get our growth rate of gdp back to where it used to be which is in the four percent range and well, we've been around one and a half percent this year in 2017 looks like it could be three percent a lot of that i think is based on the optimism the regulations are going to be less and taxes are going to be less but that, all hasn't happened yet but you're saying if we could do this these three things in it in the corporate tax piece we could accelerate growth and like nothing else could
0: Tax reform is the biggest piece of getting to that three percent okay. or beyond. There's regulatory reform. You mentioned Dodd Frank, uh, other sorts, other big financial reforms. Healthcare reform would go a long way. All of these things together that are part, that should be part of the agenda could could get us growing at, at more than three percent. I think uh, Romina can, might be able to elaborate, but some of our our research has shown that that getting back to three percent growth would is is not even fully returning to the projections that a lot of the government scoring agencies in D.C. say we should be growing at historically.
2: Yes, we are definitely growing at a much, much slower rate and has a lot to do with uh, drag from tax policy, from regulatory policy. But I also want to bring something into the discussion that um, is a bit uh, more of a difficult topic, which Mm -hmm. is our national debt. Our national debt is um, larger than what the economy produced in goods and services last year. Um, and is projected to be larger overall than what the U.S. economy is projected to uh, produce. And that um, is also a real drag on growth, because let's say we get tax reform done this year. Let's say we are even able to cut taxes. Yes, it would certainly boost investment, especially if we do... The things we just talked about on the business side but then in the long run unless we get spending under control there will be immense pressure to introduce either new taxes or raise taxes again so if we really want this to last to reap the full benefits from the regulatory reforms and the tax reforms the president is talking about we also need to address the spending side that's tough (laughs) that's tough
1: so let's talk about we've got we've got some time Left to talk about this, what 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 are the barriers? I mean, we know what the barriers are, but let's break it down into the what the policy uh, pieces of this are here in uh, in Washington.
2: There is actually a way that tax reform and spending reform could go hand in hand, and I would argue that that would actually be the best way forward. What that would mean is that Congress would use a very powerful tool. in in their arsenal, which is called reconciliation. Reconciliation is powerful because it allows for a simple majority vote in the Senate that is filibuster proof, where amendments are limited and time for debate is limited, so you have a supercharged legislative vehicle. You don't need to bring Democrats on board necessarily, or if you have a few defections on the uh, the Republican side, you don't need that many Democrats, and you could potentially work out uh, a good compromise. One of the limitations of reconciliation is that it requires that um, whatever changes you're making to the tax code be deficit neutral outside of whatever budget window is chosen, which... Traditionally, it has been 10 years, could be 20 years, could be 30. Congress can choose whatever budget window it wants to, but they will have to offset any tax cuts uh, with spending cuts in order to fit through that procedural rule. Now, they can easily do that if they just put a limit on overall spending and then they can work out exactly where those cuts should happen. We really need to have a discussion over our uh, our spending trends because uh, spending is growing at an unsustainable rate and it's taxes that are funding this spending so we can't really cut taxes sustainably and for for the long run if we don't get a control of of spending because that's that's the hunger. That's the appetite for more taxes in the future, and I think investors know this too. They worry about what taxes will look like in the future if spending continues growing on this unsustainable pace.
0: And, and we uh, we sort of laughed a little bit when, you, when we talked about cutting spending. But just by way of illustration, it's it's not that difficult. If you if you look at when we talk about spending into the future, where there's always an assume, assumption that we're increasing spending year after year. There's an assumed. 5% year-over-year <clears throat> increase in spending in the federal budget baseline that we were talking about. Just reducing that growth rate in spending to about 2% each year could allow us to have a $3 trillion tax cut over 10 years and balance the budget at the end of that 10-year window. Can you believe so you it's that? So it's, it's, just, it's, it's really not... Say, say her- that
1: again. I want to make sure so, I heard that. So
0: we assume the government is going to grow 5% each year When we talk about, so when we talk about cutting spending, we're always talking about cutting the growth rate in spending, not actual absolute spending. So cutting that growth rate to 2% a year. So we're just keeping up with inflation. We're keeping the government we have. We can balance the budget at the end of 10 years and provide a $3 trillion tax cut over 10 years. Wow.
1: Well, you two are young enough to have a big stake in this game. I mean, how do you, how do you Others in your generation feel about this. Do they know that this avalanche is out there? We're twenty trillion now. This goes on for another ten years. We're going to be at thirty trillion, more.
2: I, I, I occasionally have an opportunity to go to campuses, and then we also have yeah. a very talented young leaders at the Heritage Foundation uh, internship program, the Young Leaders program. So I have a mm-hmm. chance to talk to these folks, and also from my mm-hmm. own uh, from my own experience, um, it is very scary because these high spending and debt rates, eventually they will come back to haunt us. And we're already seeing this in the form of uh, lower economic growth. The academic research shows that when industrialized countries spend and borrow beyond Um, beyond the size of their economy, it drags down growth in a significant way. But the difficulty is people can't really pinpoint it. They don't know that the debt is one of the reasons that growth is down. So we try to explain that. Um, Young people, if you ask them, especially millennials, um, they support, for example, opting out of Social Security, because they don't believe that programs like Social Security and Medicare are going to be there for them, based on uh, how, how expensive those programs have already become. And um, what, what we're looking at, if we don't get control of our spending problem, I, I, I'm, I come from Germany, um, it would mean likely a new tax. For example, a value-added tax down the road, and what that would mean is much less money in people's pockets, much less discretionary uh, uh, income. A
1: value-added tax is like a national sales tax, so in addition to income tax, we'd be paying
2: That's right. taxes on what we buy. In Germany, that is actually 19%. Everything you buy, the government levies a 19% tax on top. So, everything's about 20% more expensive, and, and you're also paying income taxes that are much, much higher than what's true in the United States right now.
1: So, uh, let's walk back to where we got into this. Where, how do we do this? What, what are the steps? You two spend a lot of time on Capitol Hill, you spend a lot of time in the committees, you, you're advising people. What do we, the fall of 2017, how, is, is there any uh, political appetite to
0: tackle this? So on on the tax reform side that's a a big piece of getting the economy growing again and that and that can help with a lot of these problems that that we're talking about that we've been talking about. there is political appetite and using these budget tools that Romina was talking about that we we need to keep up pressure that we that we do tax reform in a sustainable way and that it and then that we make sure that it is long lasting that down the road in several years we keep coming back to to the spending issue well you
1: know the, the- The electoral or the 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 election math is interesting. 2018 is coming up. People want to get reelected. Of the 33 seats that are up for reelection in 2018, 25 of them are held by Democrats. Many of them in states that were carried by uh, President Trump. So it would seem there ought to be some way to get uh, some bipartisan uh, consensus to do something that would uh, do some good. Thoughts?
2: I think there's a, a real risk there, too, because the Democrats tend to vote as a block. There's a chance that some of them will peel off to support the president risk. in the tax reform effort. Yeah. Uh, but I do worry that it may come at a steep price, then, which means that the tax reform package won't be as good as it could be, because the Democrats are still practicing a politics of envy, the idea that the uh, rich aren't paying their fair share. Um, and they want to get at that. This is the kind of win they want to get for their base. Another risk is that we might look at a tax reform package that includes a short-term revenue boost through something called repatriation, bringing these profits that are held overseas back to the United States. It's about $2 trillion. Two or three trillion, I believe. Yeah, a bit different, can, yeah. Out there. And um, and there may be some talk of bundling that with a spending package, potentially infrastructure <laughs> spending and that sort of thing. That so spending um, looks, goes up.
0: Goes yes, yeah. and yeah. That,
2: that's exactly the opposite of what we should be doing. We, yeah. we <laughs> so this, I worry about that.
0: If 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 we do tax that money that's brought back, that's currently locked overseas. It should be used for lowering tax rates across the board. We shouldn't be using it to invest in new infrastructure. The, I mean the true infrastructure stimulus that we need is expensing and lower lower mm-hmm. tax rates. That will that's the true way to get sustainable investment in America is is through tax reform.
1: And they're market based ways to promote infrastructure spending that's and not right. just through a government exactly. program. Exactly. Yeah. Right, right. Well, you two are are, uh, brilliant on this. I'm really happy you're here today, and I highly recommend everybody taking a look at the Federal Budget and Pictures, which you can find, again, at thefederalbudgetandpictures.com. And we're going to have some of your writings featured on our website. Uh, You've been talking taxes, budget, and then all these words, that I'm really going to have to learn better, reconciliation (laughs) and... uh, and tax extenders. You can learn a lot about that uh, from those sites and those articles. So any final words?
2: Thank you, Bill, for having us, and I'm really excited to be working with you and many other Americans around the country to make tax reform happen. I think we're going to need everybody's help because lawmakers are reluctant to do the right thing, so they need to hear from their constituents to make sure that they do that.
1: Okay.
0: Well, everybody here, Adam. Yeah. Same, same note. The tax reform is about economic growth. It's about raising wages, increasing investment in America, and and that's where the focus should should remain. Tax reform is about cutting taxes and reforming. The structure of the tax code, and that can benefit all Americans. So, I'm excited that hey, we had the opportunity to talk about it today, and hopefully, we'll see some well, movement in the next couple of months. You're going
1: to be back. We're going to be talking about it some more. So, let's make
0: <laughs> let's, let's let's get some things done. All right. Thanks, guys. This is great. Good Thank having you. Here. Thanks for listening. Want more? Be sure to subscribe to Common Ground with Bill Walton on iTunes.